I went to an art school where I excelled because I naturally, God had given me these gifts, I just picked up music. And then middle school, I went to the art school, similar thing, and then that end, you add in athletics. So I was one of the better athletes and I was in the music, so I was doing all these things. They called me the robot boy in middle school because I did everything well. And like at the time, like I didn't think anything of it, but now, you know, late high school and now I'm realizing like, I wasn't healthy. Like from a young age, I have to maintain that image that I built up my literally in my entire life. Not only did I feel from the outside world, but then I started setting myself up. Like I felt like I had to be that person and I wasn't, I'm not. End of sophomore year into like junior year when baseball and college recruiting start, like that stuff starts to pick up. And so like that's added stress, kind of anxious all the time. And for a while I thought it was just like my nature, like I'm just, I've always been a natural like overthinker. I like think and think and think until I know for sure like this is what I want to do. I started experiencing the physical consequences, I guess. And around January of 2020, I would eat. Well, for one, I was eating very slow. I thought my like throat was swollen and I just physically couldn't swallow. Two, three weeks after I started noticing like not being able to chew and eat at a normal pace, I started like basically throwing up within 30, 40 minutes of eating. The one I remember specifically, I was at the gym with my dad and I was just drinking my protein shake like normal. We were walking out and we saw some friends. I was like, like, oh crap. So I sprinted back to the bathroom and it all came up. And I was just like, this is really weird. And I just assumed it was, I was like drinking my protein shake too fast or something like that. But then it started happening more and more like every night after I ate, I'd go into the bathroom and then I'd have to, and I'd throw up. And it was almost like I was unintentionally like bulimic where I wasn't forcing myself to throw up. I just physically couldn't hold it down. I lost almost 20 pounds just from throwing up so much. And it, it was scary because I didn't know why. I just thought it was my diet. Like I went, I got a whole list of foods I shouldn't and shouldn't be eating. Like I changed things. It helped a little bit and I thought, okay, maybe it's just my diet. And it probably did go away for like a week or two, but then peak quarantine area um, when like gyms were shut down, I started freaking out because like I can't go to the gym. I'm not gonna put on muscle to play baseball and all this. So I was like doing my stuff at home everything seemed normal and then I started throwing up again. I was still taking the acid reflux medicine. I was still doing all of the medical things the doctor told me I should do. I was like, this isn't normal. So I went back in. He was like, this is like to the point where like this is anxiety. Like this is basically is GERD. So I don't know what it all stands for. And he said, you got to get this under control. You're just, it's not going to stop. I didn't realize that anxiety could take that much of a toll physically especially for someone like me because I felt like I didn't really have any trauma or significant, you know, experiences that a lot of people say causes their anxiety. For me, it was just kind of a buildup of overthinking. It's just, it's just part of me, I guess. I really struggled this past like two months, like with graduating because I have these like awards coming in. I, you know, graduate top of my class, but I haven't really, in a way, I haven't felt proud of it because I feel like in a way my anxiety is what got me there because my anxiety has stopped me from 
going out with friends and like I felt lonely I guess because there's like I said many nights where I kind of focused on school when I probably didn't need to like I could have gone out I could have hung out with friends and stuff like that I succeeded and I I excelled academically athletically but I failed relationally throughout high school but especially senior year junior year when I started to have about the time when I was getting sick, about the time when I was like, I was trying to get into schools and um, get scholarships. That's when things flipped, I guess, to where I felt like I had to control all of that. Like I was the only one that was gonna be able to make those things happen for me. If I'm in the driver's seat for a while, for really all of the last two years of high school, anxiety was my GPS, it was my navigator. Then for a while I thought that I could be the navigator and I just had to tell anxiety no and like ignore it. But the reality is I can't just ignore it. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Trevor. Um, if we haven't gotten the chance to meet, I have the privilege of being the youth pastor here. Um, and this is my friend Isaac's story. Um, Isaac is a freshman at Huntington now. Woo, hate you. Um, <clears throat> And uh, maybe you've seen this story before. We, we shared it. I think we released it back in September or so. Um, but I thought it was a good setup for this morning um, because Isaac's story is one of his, his journey with anxiety and, and the pressure he put on himself and the pressure he experienced and, and what he felt. Um, and he has a lot of phrases here that, that really caught me off guard. And, and something he shared that didn't make the video um, and, and maybe a small piece of it did, but he, he basically told me when I asked him if he wanted to put this video together, he said, I, I don't feel like I am someone who should be sharing because like my story is not special. What is, what is the point of me sitting down? Um, and he actually watched a TikTok where he realized like, it's not about sharing your story if you're special or not because there's probably a lot of people who are going through what he is going through. And his journey, I actually knew almost none of this before we, we sat down and filmed this video and was just kind of blown away. Um, and since I sat down with him in, in I think we sat down in August, um, I've really been challenged about where the state of, um, especially our teenagers are, but more so the state, I guess, of, of our culture. And I was gonna come up and share a whole bunch of statistics to, to make my case, but then I realized um, I think Isaac's story shares it better. Um, and I can tell you, I've been here 12 years, and um, I don't think we talked about, you know, this, this idea of mental health at all until, I would say, at least four or five years ago. And then at first I thought it was just, oh, it's just this specific group of students that we have that feel this way. And then they graduate, and new students come in, and our new students feel this way, and it's worse. They graduate, new students come in, they feel this way, and it's worse. I think statistically right now they say 30% of teenagers are um, experiencing anxiety in a year, and in my experience that number is extremely low. Um, and, and Isaac's story, I think, you know, this is a, a student who seems like everything's going great, he's been on stage before, um, and is suffering inside. And a lot of our teenagers, that's where they are, I think they, they are suffering. Um, and it's led me to start asking the question of why. Why is it that, that we as people continue to suffer more and more each 
year. And so I have three goals this morning. Um, I think first and foremost, um, I think our group of teenagers right now need someone to say things that they can't necessarily say or don't understand or don't realize. And so um, since about September, I've realized I need to start being an advocate for teenagers and, and not teach them so much, but start listening to what they're feeling and experiencing. Um, and so I've sat down with, with them, uh, talked to all the high schoolers about what they were feeling and, and why and what are the things they feel like are the most important. Um, I've sat down with, with other people to try to understand them better. Um, and I don't know that I have any answers, but I at least want to, you know, the second point, start a conversation is my goal this morning. And so I really hope if you have kids, if you have any interaction with teenagers, young adults, um, that you, after we are done here, have a conversation um, about where you are, about where each other is. And honestly, it may have nothing to do with what I say this morning. Um, but again, in my experience, teenagers in general are suffering. And then the third one, and the reason I want to do this as we're all together this morning, is that I think our teenagers, our young adults, are the best barometer for the culture that we as adults are creating. I think they are the best reflection of the way we are living because they take the things that we live out and they amplify them. They take them to the extreme. And even if you don't have teenagers or any interaction with them, I think that it's still a reflection of the way that we as adults are living. And that's backed up um, the crazy stat I found in 2020, University of Chicago did a study and they found only 14% of American adults would right now say they are very happy. I guess that was two years ago now, but they found that 50% feel isolated and they said that right now we are the least happy and most isolated as adults that we have ever been in the 50 years they've been collecting data. And so I, I think we feel that too, don't we? I know that I do, and I've started to ask the question, and, and a lot of it for a long time, and I've shared this before, that, that I blamed on COVID, blamed on the situation we were in. Um, but really, if I stop and think about it, all those things were happening, and I was feeling them and experiencing them before COVID, and COVID just made them worse. I think we were already trending in these directions. And, and I do, like, I feel that inside me where I just, Courtney and I talk to each other a lot about how are you feeling, how are you doing, and uh, I feel like most days I just have to be like, I'm okay, like, I'm, I'm here, I'm existing. Um, and not that we don't do fun things and have things, but, like, it just feels like something inside me is off and is wrong, and I, and I don't know why and can't get a grasp on it. And I think for each of us, that answer might be different, but I think there are some major themes that we can kind of pull out as we look. Um, and as I talk to teenagers and talk to other people and try to understand. Um, and the three that I want to kind of talk about today, um, the first one is busyness. That we, as a culture, I believe, have, have normalized, have lifted up, have celebrated busyness and keeping ourselves busy. And some of that is with things outside the home, maybe it's things inside the home, but we're, we're doing things a lot. And when I was talking to the students, one student made a statement that has really stuck with me for the last month. And they said, 
it's weird to me that we have normalized this busyness to the point where like when I need a mental break and when I'm starting to get stressed and things, I skip school because there's nowhere else in my schedule that I can take a break. And that really hit me, I was like that, and it's interesting that she recognized how crazy that was. And that was the, the feeling that they get. And the second to go along with that, I think, is the pressure that we are putting on ourselves or putting on each other, the expectations um, that are weighing on all of us. And that is not just teenagers, but I think they are feeling it and experiencing it. I know historically, when you look at teenagers, like it used to be this, hey, we are carefree, we do a bunch of stupid stuff. I know when I was a teenager, I didn't think about a whole lot. And my mom wanted to put me in a box and I was not the most exciting person. But I didn't have the, the same pressure. And when I look at our teenagers today, there's so much pressure even that they're putting on themselves an expectation that they have to the point where things aren't even fun for them anymore. But it's about what they can achieve through it. And then the third one, this idea is loneliness. And loneliness, I think, is something that is, is plaguing all of us uh, right now but especially with our teenagers who I feel like don't even necessarily understand how to have friendships or what a friend looks like or relationships with their peers. I asked them <clears throat> in September if they felt like on their sports teams, their teammates were there to be people they competed with and had their backs or their teammates were people they were supposed to compete against to be better than. And every single person told me their teammates were people they were supposed to compete against to be better than. Which means even in places that we used to find these communities, we now see enemies. And so somewhere in here, our culture, I think, has broken and we've, we've shifted. And I, I don't even know what the answer is. Because um, like I said, I think it might be different for each of us. But the themes are very, very consistent across all of us. And like I said, I think our teenagers are just a reflection of what we are also feeling as adults. I want to take a look at a biblical principle that maybe the first lesson God teaches us in the Bible, and maybe you could argue that we learn God's creativity from Genesis 1, which I agree. I don't know that that's a principle though. Um, but in Genesis 2, after God gets through creation, right, we see God's creativity and all the cool things he creates. Here's what happens in Genesis 2, verse 1. It says, So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested. That word rested there literally means to cease or to stop. From his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. So the first thing we see from God is this idea of rest. And I think what we can learn from this is that we were literally created as people to have rest in our lives. And that doesn't mean like we didn't go to work and we stayed home and worked. Like, this concept is literally to cease or to stop. And then we go on a little bit later in the Bible. We get to Exodus, and we get something called the Ten Commandments. Maybe some of you know the Ten Commandments. I, 
I maybe could have gotten like eight of them off the top of my head, but um, maybe you know all ten. And, and when I look at the Ten Commandments, I see something very interesting um, that, that I have never stopped and noticed and studied before. So the Ten Commandments, right, we have no other gods. These are uh, Trevor's shortened phrases, sorry. No other gods before me, no idols. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath, honor your parents, don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet. The first three very clearly, right, have to do with the way that we see, interact with, feel about, experience God. First three, God's very clear. Don't have any other gods before me. Don't make idols. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Um, has to do with the way we've experienced God. The last six have to do with the way that we interact with other people. Honor your parents, don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet. Okay? First three with God, last six with other people, and then we get one shoved in the middle here that's remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Now, maybe that phrase doesn't mean anything to you, so don't worry, I'll read the actual Ten Commandments to you. And what's interesting is most of them get like a single sentence or a single phrase. But when it comes to the Sabbath, there's this giant chunk of instructions because I think God knew we were going to screw it up. So very clearly, here's what God tells Moses. He says, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to your Lord. Sorry, the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. In case you weren't sure who that was, this includes your sons, daughters, male and female servants, livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them, and on the seventh day he rested. This is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. So, in case you didn't know what that 10th commandment was, the fourth one stuck in there. It literally is God saying, hey, on this seventh day, one day a week, you are going to rest. You're going to do, not probably not nothing, right? But you're gonna do no work of any kind. So much so that they laid out a whole bunch of rules about what work meant, like how far you could walk, you weren't allowed to cook, things you were allowed to carry and not carry. It was a little bit crazy. Um, but the idea was that I think people didn't necessarily know how to take a break probably. And so they, they had to keep explaining what it was, and it got to the point where it was pretty out of control. But God, when he is giving the Ten Commandments, he literally puts taking one day off a week in the same list that he puts not worshiping other gods, not killing other people, not stealing from other people. On this list, he puts having a day of rest. I've never really considered taking a day off to be the same, skipping a day off to be the same as like killing someone, right? Um, which obviously it's not the same. But God feels that strongly that he puts it in the list. He feels strongly that we go two chapters later in Exodus. And here's what God says the consequences are for not taking this day off. Exodus 31, he says, tell the people of Israel, be careful to keep my Sabbath day for the Sabbath is a sign of the covenant between me and you from generation to generation. It is given so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. You must keep the Sabbath day, for it is a holy day for you. Anyone who desecrates it must be put to death. 
Anyone who works on that day will be cut off from the community. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day must be a Sabbath day of complete rest, a holy day dedicated to the Lord. Anyone who works on the Sabbath day must be put to death. The people of Israel must keep the Sabbath day by observing it from generation to generation. This is a covenant obligation for all time. It is a permanent sign of my covenant with the people of Israel. For in six days, the Lord made the heaven and the earth, but on the seventh day, he stopped working and was refreshed. We get this phrase, these ideas over and over again in this story that that God set the clear example that on the seventh day, he rested. And this is crazy, right? The consequences for not taking a day off. I guess there's a little bit of conflicting news here. Either you were supposed to be killed or kicked out of the community. I'm not really sure which one it was because it kind of said both. That's a pretty big consequence for not taking a break, right? And so I tried to ask the question of why. Like, why was the Sabbath day so important? What were the, the lessons to be learned? What was God trying to communicate There's got to be something more here than it's just like a day off, than it's just a break. And I watched like four sermons and read 30 blogs and watched like five YouTube videos. And kind of what I learned, um, and not that there's not something more, but it kind of just means to take a break. So I watched all the videos so you don't have to. Try to find the deeper meaning. Um, and, And so what lessons are we supposed to learn when it comes to the Sabbath? And I don't want to get into a discussion of do we still have to observe the Sabbath, Old Covenant, New Covenant? Like, that's not the point. The point is, what lessons were God, was God trying to communicate through the concept of the Sabbath? What were we supposed to take away from God telling us to take a break? I think first and foremost, that we learn in creation, right? God created us to need rest. It's the same reason we go to sleep every day and really don't have any idea why. We were created needing rest. And, and that's very simple. And obviously that, that is for some of us like me who are extremely lazy. We also need to learn we were created for work. Um, but for us, we have to learn that we were created for rest. And that, I don't think this means that they worked 16 hours, six days a week, and then slept, and then they had this one day off, right? They still had normal breaks. They still had to make meals, do the things that we do. But they managed to fit into their schedule every week, 24 hours with no work. So the next thing that I think we were supposed to learn was reliance and trust in God. See, when we work every day constantly, what we are teaching and what we are learning is that the only person that we can rely on is us. The only thing we can rely on is us. The point of the Sabbath was not just to take a break, but it was also, my understanding is that it was there designed so that you couldn't accomplish everything you needed to accomplish. And my wife and I joke a lot about, I don't know if you guys have like to-do lists at your house a lot, and I always tell Courtney every time she writes one, I'm like, there's no incentive to get to the end because then more things just get added. And maybe that's how you guys live your life is that that, that list never comes to an end. And I think that's the idea here is that it's not taking a break when our list is finished. 
It's taking a break every week, even though it's not finished. Because in that, we learn that we are not the people we can rely on. That God is where our trust and reliance should come from. And what we are communicating to our teenagers and the lesson they have learned is that they need to work as hard as possible because they are the people they can rely on. And I think that's where, and you see Isaac talking about it in this story, is the pressure that he, he was putting on himself and, and the way he was freaking out. Because I think culturally, that's the lesson we have communicated. That you are who you rely on. Taking a break, we learn we can rely and trust in God because we know that we can't accomplish everything that we want to. The second thing after that is, is where does our identity come from? Because when we take no breaks, what we learn is that our identity comes only from ourselves and the things that we are good at and accomplish. What do we excel at? What are we known for? And we all feel that, right? As, even as adults, I've been very frustrated where the first question we ask anyone is, what do you do for a living? Your job becomes your identity. We ask college students, what is your major? Their major is their identity. For our teenagers, their identity is the thing they excel at, what they are known for at school. Is it a sport? Is it a club? Is it being intelligent? We are not known just as people for who we are and our personalities. But I think if, if we understand the concept of the Sabbath and, and understand this rest, the idea is that we rest, we can't accomplish everything, and that we can learn to find our identity and who God says we are in the rest. And the next one, and this is the one that I think is, is maybe the most important, is that we have time and space and energy for community. God, I think, is very clear. The two most important things in this world are community with God and community with other people. And Jesus kind of says this over and over and teaches this over and over and we tend, I think, to value things other than community. Like I said, the things we accomplish, the things we get done. And God says the, the most important things are our time spent with God, our time spent with other people. And I've been so frustrated over the last five plus years just about even, even I've noticed it in my circle of friends, how hard it is to make schedules, to hang out, how often people cancel plans because they don't have the energy or the enthusiasm um, or things come up. And this has been a trend that has been happening for a while. And we often as people don't have the time, the energy, and the space to have real community with people. Even in our, our church, right, it's often we, we hurry in and we hurry out. We have other places we want to go and do. And, and where is the community with people? Because I don't think there's anything more important and more significant than community. And you can look at the stats and the things that talk about loneliness and, and they use the phrase loneliness epidemic right now because we as people are so lonely that it's causing all these other problems. The anxiety, the depression, the stress, um, and a lot of it they believe stems from loneliness. And it breaks my heart even watching teenagers because I think so often they don't even know like I said, how to have friendships, how to make friends, um, because I feel like we've de-emphasized this and a lot of times they are lost. Um, it's also why we do the things that we do in youth 
things like Olympiad and small group and the way that we structure our Sunday mornings is because I think we enjoy being here. We enjoy it more when we are with people that we like to be with, when we are friends with people, when we have positive relationships. We also need that community, like I said, with God. And some of us may look at the Sabbath as like, this is a a chore, this is something I have to do. Here's what Jesus says in Mark to help us, I think, understand this a little differently. Mark says, or Jesus says this, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people and not the people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. Very simply, what Jesus was saying is that the Sabbath was not there to burden you, to make your life harder, to be something that you have to check off of a task list. The Sabbath was created literally as a gift for what our needs already are. Jesus is saying that we need this rest, these breaks. We need this to reset our minds, to solve a lot of the things that I think are inside of us that are tearing us apart, to help us reprioritize. I want to read a quote by Billy Graham. And if you don't know who Billy Graham is, haven't heard that word, that's a little bit of an old reference at this point. Um, he's a guy who traveled around. He shared the gospel with like literally half the planet probably, right? Um, this guy was very public um, about his faith. He led a lot of people to God. And at the end of his life, and he lived a long life, and he did a lot of reflections, and he wrote this kind of long thought. Um, and Jordan sent me this quote this week because he had... Uh, uh, in in his his long thoughts, he wrote about the things he regretted. So here's Billy Graham, this this great famous pastor, at the end of his life, talking about the regrets that he had during his life. And here's what he says. He says, although I have much to be grateful for as I look back over my life, I also have many regrets. I have failed many times and would do many things differently. For one thing, I would speak less and study more, and I would spend more time with my family. When I looked back over this schedule I kept 30 or 40 years ago, I am staggered by all the things we did and the engagements that we kept. Sometimes we flitted. I don't think that's a real word, but I'm not going to question Billy Graham. (laughs) From one part of the country to another, even from one continent to another in the course of only a few days. Were all of those engagements necessary? Was I as discerning as I might have been about which ones to take and which to turn down? I doubt it. Every day I was absent from my family is gone forever. Although much of that travel was necessary, some of it was not. I would also spend more time in spiritual nurture, seeking to grow closer to God so I could become more like Christ. I would spend more time in prayer not just for myself, but for others. I would spend more time studying the Bible and meditating on its truth, not only for sermon preparation, but to apply its messages to my life. It is far too easy for someone in my position to read the Bible only with an eye on a future sermon overlooking the message God has for me through its pages. And the last thing he says, I would give more attention to fellowship with other Christians who could teach me and encourage me and even rebuke me when necessary. Billy Graham, this great pastor, reflecting on his life, he says, my biggest regrets were not spending enough time with my family, 
not spending enough time in community with other Christians, and the time he spent with God. This is a guy who did so much good, told so many people, and he said, yeah, I don't think all those things were necessary. I should have removed some of them because I wish I had spent more time with my family in community with people and in community with God. So maybe the question for us is this, what do we value and prioritize? What are your top values and priorities, your top two, three, four? I'm not sure that what we think we value and prioritize is what we are actively living out. For us as Christians, I think we should say God is is somewhere on that list, right? God is a priority. I think a good measure of our priority is where does our time, energy, and money go? If God is a priority, why are we spending less time, energy, and money on God every single year? Family, is family a priority? If so, why are we spending less time and energy with our families? Spending quality, community, family time. What else is our priority? Do we actually live out the things that we think we value and prioritize? And I know one of the things that I hear over and over and over again from students, parents, is this idea that there are a lot of opportunities teenagers have that won't come around when they graduate high school, when they're adults. And so we want to take advantage of all those opportunities that they have now. Maybe it's sports, clubs, um, working harder in school, getting into a certain college, that there's a lot of opportunities they don't want to miss, that we as people don't want to miss. And my struggle with that is that there are opportunities we are missing by doing those things. We are just picking which opportunities we're giving up. And the ones that we're giving up are usually the ones that involve more time with family, more community, and more community with God. And not that those things are bad. And Billy Graham is not saying that all the things that I did were bad. He's just saying, I regretted not doing what was actually best. Maybe a different way to think about it, and this is the kind of the final question here, is is how would you define success? What does success for you look like? What does success for your kids look like? So about the, the job, the money that you make, having a family. Because right now what we are prioritizing, valuing, our results are anxiety, depression, loneliness, suicide rates all rising. I don't think any of us would define that as success. Maybe we need to change our picture of success, our idea of success. And I think for me, where I've landed and what success is, is I reflect. I want success to be being filled with the fruit of the Holy Spirit, having love, peace, joy. The other six. (laughs) And when I think about our teenagers, that's what I want for them more than anything is to experience love, peace, joy, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. What does success for you, what does success look like for your kids? And what do we need to value and prioritize to get there?
I encourage you guys, like I said beforehand, um, <clears throat> I really hope that, that we can have a conversation that stems from this morning. Because um, I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all answer. Um, I don't even know that, like I said, our teenagers, I have talked to them, I don't know that they can do a good job voicing and feeling what they're experiencing. Um, but I think for us, we need to start this conversation because culture is continually trending the wrong direction. And unless we take an active stand to stop it, it's going to keep trending that way. Um, and we as people are suffering. And I think the Bible's pretty clear. Like here are the things that we need and what do we need to shift in our values, priorities, schedule to get us there. So let me pray for us this morning. God, I just, I just ask that for us as people, God, you can help us understand where we need a shift in what we value, what we prioritize. God, I pray that you would, you would help us realize those things, God, and I pray that you would give us the energy, the strength, the confidence to make actual changes, God. That we can figure out how to rearrange things so we can experience the life, the love, the fulfillment, and the joy that you want us to experience, God.